Okay, well, I would uh, rather be doing anything other than what I'm doing tonight. The reason I'm doing this is because what's the strength of Malou is her life. And tonight is a tribute. I'm just going to give you what she means to me because if you don't know her, by the end of tonight, I hope you know her because some of you have never had the blessing of knowing this, this most unusual of all people. <laughs> and those who do know her could stand up here and speak every bit as long. But to me, the power of what we're going to talk about is the amazing thing that one person's life can do. Just like one life well lived, it can do so much. If we truly believe that one person, one person with the Lord, it's amazing the difference that one person can make. And so I had the privilege of something that no one else had that I've known Malou longer than anyone. And our friendship together did something. And that's what I want to give you out of tonight. So I was going to tell you all our story together. And I just want to have a tribute because I was going to tell you a little bit of my journey. I grew up and I was probably the most spiritually active person I knew my age. And so I grew up and I wanted to know more about the Lord. I wanted to learn how to hear Him. I would be with the adults mainly in the prayer meetings and everybody made fun of me because no other kids wanted to come. And so I did that thing that opens it up for you. And I asked the Lord that question, Lord, I want everything you've got. You'll be surprised what he'll do in your life. I remember specifically where I was in the bathroom, in my dad's bathroom, in the utility room at our house out in the country. And I had reached over in the trash can because God started speaking to me so quick. And I wrote my first Bible study on a pantyhose cardboard. (laughs) Used to in the old days, they had a cardboard in there. So I wrote out this lesson on seven hindrances to healing. And as fast as it came to me, I, I knew seven reasons why people won't get healed. Well, you know, when you're young, you're not so much thinking about sickness. So it was unusual. I was like, it's my first lesson. Have lesson, will travel. And I started realizing something about that. I was shocked how the bathroom is one of those places God likes to speak to you. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but my bathroom was anointed. Well, the next time the Lord spoke to me again in the bathroom, and he said, go to the summer missions program at your school. And it was, I believe it was December when he was speaking to me. It was in the break. And he said, go check out the summer missions program. So anyway, I went and I joined their summer missions program. And and I was given a choice of three different teams, India, Philippines, and England. And I managed to get myself on the wrong team. And it ended up, I got kicked out of the missions program. I mean, it wasn't a matter of which team now. It was a matter of Angie Ruth is out of all mission teams and will not be allowed to go. And I think a lot of people would have taken a no at this point and said, okay, better luck next year, you know, or I deserve this or whatever. They were furious with me for switching teams. I went on the team anyway. I just went. (laughs) That's how I start. And this trip was not going to be measured in days or weeks, but it was going to be measured in months. That gives you a funny feeling when you stepped on the plane. There's no turning back. I didn't have the money to, I couldn't fly home if I wanted to. It's another story how the head of the missions program flew, and he told me, I knew you were supposed to be on this team. And I go, why did you say anything? He goes, I was testing you. Remember in life, y'all, it's not a paved road. Because I want you to see, there are some things in my life, they worked out really well. I want you to see how close it would have been to me making some of the biggest mistakes in my life. 
How about if I'd made a mistake and I'd never went to the Philippines? How about if I'd let the no stand? How about if I'd never met Malou? If I had not had that experience, <laughs> that private moment, I don't know if we would ever be standing here having this lecture. It's funny these little steps that you make are so significant. But anyway, that's where God spoke to me and when he spoke to me. And that's what I wanted you to hear. So anyway, we landed in the Philippines and it was going to be a great time. We were going to stay in this very nice home in the very nice section of Manila with the head pastor, David Summerall. Just the name Summerall just made my heart beat. I'd seen his uncle preach these unbelievable crusades. Well, that lasted a day being in the home. We displeased him so much that he kicked us out within one day. <laughs> and so now we have to go and find places to live with, with members of the church. I was living with a sea captain. I mean, he and his wife were the high end. And I remember rats crawling on the stove and bathing out of a bucket. And I don't even have words to tell you. But I wanted, you know, I wanted to know how did the Filipinos live? So I was among them. So we went into those homes. We got jeepney rides every day that we paid for, and we went to church every morning, and they divided us up, the girls with the girls and the guys with the guys. And I think we had about 15 Americans, and they paired us with their translators. And I get this translator, and her name is... Angie. <laughs> and guess what about Angie? Angie and I didn't get along. <laughs> Angie and I clashed. <laughs> There was something in Angie I just, uh, it just wasn't, it didn't whatever. So I'm just letting you see that if you expect there to be the carpet rolled out there, there's a little interesting how life makes it. Well, anyway, in our early morning prayer times in the early briefing session, I remember looking across the room and I saw this Filipino that highlighted to me. She stood out to me. Well, why? Because she had the most audacious personality. I mean, you're just like, Oh, my lands. And, you know, I don't know if it's, this is how you create good friendships is Henri meets Henri. I don't know what, you know, I've tried to put words into what caused this connection inside of us. But I would watch her as she would translate for others. And what got me was she was so passionate. Like there was just passion oozing out of her. And I realized that half of preaching is your enthusiasm. And I would watch her preach. I have no idea what she was saying. It was all in Gullig. I mean, she was just preaching her heart out. The rest translated words, but she translated heart. There was something she was doing I couldn't put my finger on. Occasionally, it would work out where she would translate for me. Just so happened someone couldn't come that day or something. And I would occasionally get her as a translator. So I used all the time, I'd ask her, what's your testimony? How did you come to here? She was raised very poor. She was a solitary. Y'all, I don't know what you think about, but when you see these countries of these poor, and the poor are as far as you can see. There's no hope. They're landlocked. They're trapped on this island. They're not going to own a house. They're not going to own land. They're never going to go anywhere. They're just a sea of people. And that's what Malou was caught in. But she, something inside of Malou that I would call, it's that God sits a solitary in a family. There's these unique people. And they're hard to explain how God puts the Spirit on them. And she had found out this sold-out walk with God. 
And of course she regaled me with her stories. She would tell me the daring things that she did in ministry. Oh, I loved hearing those stories. She told me about the evenings after Bible school classes where she would go and she would preach in the streets. And then she would go and she would go to these mahjong parties. And the men were all doing wine. And they had their drinks on the table. And Malou didn't go up and say, can I speak to you? Malou would climb on top of their table. And she would preach. And all four foot of her, she would preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. What shocked me was how many people she knew in the Philippines. How many? There's the Mahjong party. She showed me. She said, I'll show you how it works. She went to these guys while they were playing. And I watched her and everyone loved her. Heathens and sinners, everyone. It was just amazing watching her gift. But she, every night, it was a funeral after Bible school. I was shocked at how many funerals a child was going to. Well, come to find out, I was like, Malou. And she goes, I preached last night. It was a funeral after, and they all got saved. And I was like, wow. What I didn't know is she didn't know a, a thing about the people who died. She was just going to the funeral home. And she would get there, and she goes, they're real soft when something like that happens. And she would get in there and she would start preaching till the whole room of people were saved. I got tickled at her. I'd heard her testimony. I knew she grew up. I knew we both had a Baptist background. But she would say, we Catholics. And she would talk and preach like that. And I said, Malou, I, I, said, I thought you were Baptist all your life. She goes, it's not going to win anybody in the Philippines to say, we Baptist. And so that wise as a serpent, she would stand up in front of the school, we Catholics. She said, we're the first group that ever in Asia has known Jesus Christ. I remember this sermon. She goes, the rest of Asia worships other God, but not the Filipinos. She said, the Spaniards brought us Christ. And she said, now is the time. But after we've had Christ for these 400 years, she said, it is time that we go deeper with him. Tonight is your night. And she would talk to him, and it was like, we will be the first to go deeper with the Lord. And somewhere in among this preaching, I believed her. Because I truly believe that the Filipinos are the happiest people on earth. I truly believe that if every Filipino got excited about the Lord... They could reach the world. The Filipinos are in Jerusalem. Every single hero in Israel has a Filipino that takes care of them. Everywhere you go in the Arabic countries, there is a Filipino. The Filipinos are all over the world because they're nurses, they're caregivers, they're happy. There is nothing like them. They're smart, they're clever, they can learn the languages. They're smart enough to make their nation speak English. I mean, they're the ones that are on there translating, speaking English as a second language. The Filipinos could do it. There are 77 million Filipinos. And when I go to that country and I see men in suits... And JW's walking in front of me, I tell myself, why is every church not sending teams into the Philippines? So, I would hear her preach, we Catholics, she was raised by her grandmother. She didn't have any money, but she was so stubborn. I mean, stubborn. 
Like, I, I don't even have words for her stubbornness because she would pay her own way no matter where we went. And she would use her money and she would buy me gifts. Here was a person where you worried about them because they couldn't even eat and she's bringing me gifts. You know, it was the oddest thing to watch her. Like, one day she decided... Well, no, I decided I was going to get her a new dress because they had to wear these dresses, and they wore the same dresses all the time. So we went to get her a dress and a pair of shoes. And she gets in there, and the way she shops for shoes, she told the lady, this is so high. This is shocking. What are you doing? What are you charging me for? And the lady goes, you should pay that for one shoe, not two. These are nice shoes. Emily took one shoe and throws it at the lady and says, I'll just take one then. And so she takes the wrapper out of there. She throws it down. She steps on it. She steps on the box. And she says, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Trying to cheat her because she's an American? And they're fighting in there. And they go through this whole thing. Finally, it erupts until the women are pulling each other's hair. When we got through, Malou had gotten that 50 cents off those shoes she wanted. (laughs) And I came back home, and you know after the mission field, you need debriefing from things like this. Because I would go to Penny's, and I would think about pulling that lady's hair. (laughs) And I was so bored shopping in the United States, I can't make myself shop here anymore because of the markets of the world. Because Malou wanted that 50 cents. Those shoes felt better on her feet with that 50 cents. The cardboard box was still with the lady. Malou, stubborn, independent, arrogant, cruel. Malou. You know, it was the first time I'd ever met anyone my age that had a better walk than me spiritually. And I needed it. I didn't ever know how bad I needed it. Sometimes you're looking for someone that's stronger than you. She was spiritually giving me a run for my money, and I looked at her and thought, the competition is on. (laughs) And at that moment, a lifetime of friendship was born on the mission field between an American that had no idea what I was doing and a Filipino translator that was one of a million. But I'm going to tell you something. For me, from that moment on, it was never the Philippines again. It was Malou. You can't say the name Philippines without me knowing that part of my heart will always be in the Philippines because you never quit loving the first field God calls you to. But my whole thought to the Philippines is to face it, Malou. You know... She was not only my favorite, but the competition was really heavy for her. She was the team's favorite. And I was determined I was going to learn everything I could from her. You know, those days and those weeks turned into those wonderful, endless days of summertime. We were young. We were heady. I was one of these that it just seemed like the prouder and the cockier you are, the more that you were going to Get your field done. I bought capri pants before they were in style. They look like a, a pirate. I got a machete, <laughs> and I went barefoot over the Philippines with them screaming at me going, you can't go in this country with no shoes on. But as soon as I didn't have to have on the, 
the typical dress I had on my my capris I had my machete in my hand and I was ready for anything that came against me but those endless days uh, turned into making good use of our time and the first thing I did was I changed her name there wasn't one Texas person on our team so they loved to make fun of my accent and they said they couldn't understand what I was saying like if I said the word oil 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 we all have oil <laughs> and the people would fall on the floor laughing I don't know I was like something something went really wrong inside of me because my Texas identity started dying like when you're on a team and everybody there is not Texan they try to kill the Texan so I had to convert Malou in spite of all these Yankees I was on the team with. And so I came up with a word for her, and I gave her the moniker of uh, Spunky. And the name stuck. And she goes, what is Spunky? And I go, it means you're a toot. And she goes, what is a toot? And she goes, is it the... No, I won't tell you what she did. <laughs> okay, so from that time on, in fact, I've done quite a few Bible studies on the power of spunk. Because I really think it's what makes it work for us in our relationship. She had no sense to her. To make sure we could find time together, her idea and my idea was to do double amount of the work. And so we created a double schedule. The other pastors and pastoras were not being able to stand up to the grueling schedule. But Malou's energy seemed boundless. Pastor Jose, one of Malou's boyfriends, and the one that was most prominent, actually one night was at the altar and he fainted. And they thought he had, like, collapsed. They thought his heart had collapsed. But he actually fainted from fasting so much and all-night prayer meetings and no sleep. And the grueling schedule and the heat, it was shocking. But Manila must be reached. We had an assignment. They handed us a map of Manila, and they divided us into sections. And before we could leave and go home, each section had to be preached to. And they would start Bible studies in those sections. We would be preaching in the dark because we would have a brownout, and I was one of those that followed my notes to a T. I had no idea what I was supposed to say next, and I would hear her little voice screaming, Keep going! Keep going! I go, there's no light, Malou. It's a brownout. Keep preaching! And so, anyway, I can still to this day hear her little voice screaming at me, Keep preaching! Anytime, and I told Mother, I said, it broke me up thinking that I had to always have my notes before I, I could preach. <laughs> was preaching in those brownouts. I was skipping meals as she took me to do the Bible studies and she would get me into businesses and she would come in and she would say, she will preach. So we did them. We preached to businesses and offices and homes. If people weren't paying attention, we would switch to anything we could to be able to minister together. I was astounded by a true gift of evangelism. That picture of John kneeling down was too evangelistic gifts meeting together. It didn't take me long before I had preached through all the sermons I had written for the summer. Yeah, I get tickled up people that don't even write a, a sermon to go. And I had written 12 sermons. I was so proud of my little sermon book. And Malou had me had them preach 
in a day. I mean, that our day started, our, our schedule for the church started early in the morning. We were dressing in the dark all over Manila where our teams were spread. We were getting ready. It was an hour jeepney ride to the church. You had to be there at 8. I guarantee you, no one was late for this man. And after we met and we prayed and we were briefed, then we did our door-to-door. We did worship and crusades, back to door-to-door. We went to our dramas, and we ended the night by praying for the sick. The tropical heat, and there was no air conditioning. We would finish at midnight. We would head home in a jeepney, unguarded, and it would take us an hour ride home. There would be a, a supper waiting for us on the stove that had been cooked long before. We'd eat and we'd go to bed. I thought I knew what it meant to work in the ministry and it never to stop. And I was in full-time ministry at home. I've never been through what David Summerall's schedule was for us that summer. At that point, Malou took my schedule and she decided to double it. Yes. My roommate was from Colorado and she had gotten on the team at the last minute like like I had. But she, the whole time when the cockroaches would eat holes in our, our dresses at night, they would build like ant hills in our shoes. I've never seen cockroaches do that. They were so big that I would kill them and I would uh, mail them home to my friends and cards. <laughs> And I, I did something to keep my roommate on the mission field. It was very, it was like something I'd been trained at at home, spiritual, to make sure mentally she didn't snap. I would take my shoe and I would go crazy screaming at the top of my lungs, killing cockroaches. And I would make her count how many licks I would hit them on the head before they would die. Whoa. And she said that me doing that is what kept her on the mission field because she realized I had already gone crazy. And so (laughs) that was our spiritual side between Pam and I. You know, I didn't get to know Pam much. She had her mind on her boyfriend back home and was using any excuse to think of to try to go back home because uh, maybe she just didn't make the friendship of Malou and she should have. But I would take those cockroaches and I would hammer and nail and I'd go crazy and scream and and I'd get into bed and I'd perform over our skirts with holes. And after that, she decided it was just worth the sheer entertainment to stick over there with me so I didn't do anything uh, that ended up in a special ward for people like me. (laughs) It was hard to to keep all my duties up with uh, the preaching, but Malou liked me. And the reason she liked me, I figured it out, is because she would bring me food in her grubby little hands from the street. She would buy me this food, whether it was ramaton or jackfruit. You know, open a jackfruit, what you, it smells like, it smells like dirty socks. You know, if, if you think, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You, tie, you know, that, that's the smell, but you kind of start getting this, this feeling for it. No one else would eat her delicacies that you could find on the streets of Manila, especially with unwashed hands as she handed them to me. You know, the devil wasn't happy about this trip, and one time I didn't pray over the food, and the Lord told me don't eat the shrimp, and I didn't even bother to pray over it because, remember, you're bulletproof. After three days of throwing up, throwing up in the side of their car, they drugged me uh, out. I couldn't hold anything in. Um, I ended up in the hospital. So, (laughs) 
So my mission leader who didn't believe in healing would come by my bed and go, how's this working for you? Look, the person who believes it's God's will to heal every time. Well, look at you. Y'all, I'm five foot eight, 122 pounds. And the Filipinos were trying to carry me in a wheelchair. And they went over the bump to get me in with the IV in my arm. And they threw me out of the wheelchair. And I'm laying on the floor laughing so loud going, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> and so we're all laughing with the IV. And then every time the Filipino goes, Malou goes, let me carry your IV for you. And she went, she's lower than me. So she'd put it down and fill up with blood. And I go, Malou, that's me in it. Oh, oh she goes, look at this. <laughs> up and down, mama. <laughs> and we'd go, I don't know if I should take this medicine. I know, let me pray over it. And then she'd bury my pills. And then, oh my goodness, then they decided to do exploratory surgery on me. I mean, it just went downhill. So Russ comes in and he goes, oh, it's just amazing seeing you in here because I had, you know, made a big stand on the Lord and healing. So I got up on my elbow and I said, Russ, I'm going to tell you something. You know, he came to visit me once. I said, you march every single person with TB, typhus, infectious diseases, leprosy, anything you can find in this hospital past my bed and I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He goes, good. Good to see you. Hadn't got you down. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> so anyway, I never, never had been in the hospital, never still. So I tear up the thing where they're trying to do exploratory surgery on me. In the middle of the night, they try to get you a sign. Yeah, they tried to get me a sign, releases for the surgery. And they told me, you're signing a release saying you don't want the surgery. And I was signing a release to get surgery. So they were trying to trick me so that they could legally. And I had six men telling me they were all my doctor. I think it was money. And so anyway, I told them, look, get me out of here. Well, it was in the middle of a typhoon. And so when I tried to walk out, I couldn't stand up. And the doctor had said that if you don't walk in here, you would have crawled in here. And then I did something else is I didn't let anybody tell my mother and dad that I was in the hospital. So when they would call, we would say, oh, she's been the night over. <laughs> Show Malou, though. Malou couldn't stand me getting all the attention. So she told me, get out of bed and let me get the pictures. <laughs> and I said, I'll let you have your pictures if you get me out of this hospital. So I paid my way out. I get to the house, and I'm no better than I was when I entered the hospital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, let's get out of here. So she took me to the house and uh, showed the, the size of the typhoon that had hit while I'm getting to the house. There's the typhoon. It was up to Malou's neck. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> and she waded through the typhoon, and she went and got me this lady out of the squatter's village. And the lady started rubbing on me, praying, and I go, Malou? She into witchcraft? What is that? She goes, it's tongues. It's okay. It's okay. She's praying in the spirit. I go, okay, okay. And so anyway, I go, you know she's killing me, don't you? It's okay. It's okay. She knows what she's doing. And she could find my organs, and she rubbed them one by one. And so she was actually putting her hands so deep into me that she, and I didn't have much room, there, and she rubbed each organ. And by the time she was through with me, I was very bruised. But I felt half better. Malou says, you must pay her. I asked the lady, what do I owe you? An American dollar. And the lady with Malou had walked a mile and something through a typhoon to get to me. 
Lou goes, your treatment's not finished. We have to have a second treatment. So she came back the next day. She finished rubbing out all my organs. I talked to a lady on the when I was flying back home, and she said, you know what you have was incurable. She goes, I've never heard such a story. And I said, well, I'm sure it was the lady's faith in her prayer. <laughs> that maybe was her point of contact to squeeze like she did. And so the next day I'm out playing in the typhoon myself, which I found out the disease came from being in the typhoon waters. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Okay, so we had riots where people were on both sides of us beaten with billy clubs. The schools would break out. Uh, I'd be running through them. You know, one time I think it was Malou. I'm not sure which Filipino, because at that point in the beginning they all looked alike to me, remember. And one of them, in deference to their own life, shoved me out of the way of a bus and almost got hit herself. And then another time, and I, I, Malou, of course, when I asked her if it was her, of course it was her. But, you know, I couldn't be exactly sure on that. But, but I do know she waded through that typhoon and brought me back to a lady. And then one time she started drowning and I jumped in and I, I got her. I didn't know she couldn't swim. And I swam her back to safety. And so Malou and I both said this about each other, that we both felt like we'd saved the other one's life in so many ways, that this was true in every way. And I feel like that that's the truth, is that, you know, you have those experiences where you save each other, but in many ways we, we saved each other's life in every way possible. The first day that we had off in the whole summer, everybody was going to the lake and they were doing crazy fun stuff. What is there to do in Manila? And Malou and I decided to sneak out, and we were going to do door-to-door evangelism. And she said, I'll train you the way you're supposed to be doing it. So we slipped out together, and we started the real work of evangelizing. She said, we're going to pick a street, and we started going down it. I'm telling you, I used to be the one that knocked on the door and prayed that no one would answer. It was called Baptist Visitation, and the most spiritual thing you could do is just hope no one showed up at the door. <laughs> Malou drug me in, and we began door to door. The first young girl, it was unique how Malou had such a way with people. Like, so unbelievable. She, she spoke to the girl, and she spoke to her in the warmth and the terms that I couldn't even imagine. And, and watching Malou, her style of evangelism, I don't know that it could be repeated or copied, but before I knew it, she's crawled up in the lap of the girl she's ministering to. And I'm like, wow. And then she gets her guitar, and she writes the girl a song, and she's playing the girl a song singing, because she, yeah, she was a singer. You know, it was unique, and I learned so much about evangelism because none of this was in English. It was all in Tagalog. And so I was hearing how she did it without understanding what she was saying. And I learned a lot more about evangelism by listening to her tone than I had to listening to her words. As I sat beside her, I said it was amazing watching this where the girls crying and gushing and coming to the Lord, it'd be such a, a great testimony in America. We'd say, wow, that's the one I won to the Lord this year. Malou was, we're on to the next door, and I said, Malou, who was that girl? And she goes, oh, she's a prostitute. I go, oh, a prostitute? I go, you're kidding. And I was like, I probably got cooties sitting on that bed. What was I doing? Why don't you tell me these things? <laughs> 
Well, the prostitute started our day as a pretty little girl going down the streets, door to door, not knowing years later I'd be working prostitute rings in Korea with her that she preached. So the next door we go, and she would have me share all that I knew. It took a few minutes, and then, then she would finish up. And, and I remember there was one lady that we went to, and I didn't understand why the mother lived under the house. But they had her under the house. And when I went down, after we talked to the family, they said, oh, talk to our mother, she's under the house. And we went under there in, in the mud floors, and the single light fixture that hung down, one bulb, and the rags on the floor. We won that lady to the Lord. I gave her a Bible. I started something new that's been kind of a trademark, but I put money in the Bible, and I didn't tell her. Because if she doesn't read the Bible, she's lost anyway, and the money will do her no good. If she reads it, she'll know the Lord blessed her. We continued on, and we, we worked all day long. Everyone else had come in from the lake and all the fun things they did. And, and I thought, I would have liked to have gone and done those things, but I couldn't imagine trading any of those people. You know, the last person that we went to, I remember Malou said, let's go up, up this road. And I said, uh, okay. And when we did, their dogs aren't tied up, and they train them to kill you. And so these dogs, you know, of course, Malou, an all-great woman of mighty faith, she jumps behind me, so I'm eating first. You know, and she's pushing me along going down this alley. And uh, she goes, we must, we must go to the end of this alley. And this was our last house that day. So we make it there. When we get past the dogs, what shocked me was that there was this lady in her late 90s. And, you know, she told us about her whole lifetime of spending much time in religion but not having a relationship with God. We led her to the Lord, and that next week she had died. And I thought, if we hadn't have gotten past those dogs, if we hadn't have taken our day off, if we had just let those dogs deter us, that lady would never know. And I realized how important and how close eternity is for people. You know, I would call Malou, she was the blood hound in finding the lost. She had a sense about her that she could smell them and she could find them like no one else. You know, since I had come from America to share the gospel, this was such a shock to me to find these people who knew God better than I did, who prayed more, who knew their Bibles, and who worshipped as intensely. I've wondered why was our team even there because the Filipinos were so much better at, at what they were doing than we were. I realized years later, Americans are bait. <laughs> they come out to see our white face and we're bait. They come out, well, sometimes they come out to see our, <laughs> our black face. <laughs> and I remember Renee Hood getting whipped with a cane for... <laughs> Yeah, the, what? That was a doozy. Yeah. It's primitive, y'all. Yes, it's primitive. I wondered why our team was there. And I realized that to go on a mission trip, it's the law that you learn on your first trip that you're always going to receive more than you give. 
It's the law of the mission trip. You think you're going over there with such sacrifice. So much good in your heart. And you're the bravest of all Americans. They wave goodbye. Only to be humiliated, embarrassed, and shocked that you don't even think you're saved after five days (laughs) of being with these people. And the way they worship, and the way they pray, and the way they love the Lord. And you realize, I am receiving more than I could ever get. We enjoyed all the food that she would bring me, the water buffaloes, the door-to-door. I was appalled that we could not go on a bus ride or a jeepney ride without her thinking, not that I should win the person next to me to the Lord, but that I should take the microphone and win the whole bus to the Lord. I mean, it was such a shock when she's kicking me on row 27 saying, go to the front, go to the front. And I'm like, okay, I go to the front. She goes, there's a microphone, tell him you want it. I said, and what am I going to say? She said, you're going to start a conversation. She goes, here, I'll do it. Okay, and she goes, you ask me, how do I get born again? And I will say, she does not know how to get born again. And so she would preach till I got saved. And then when I get saved, I have to stand up and hand tracks out to everyone else that got saved. I go, Marie, don't the Philippines... She goes, it doesn't bother them. They know what we're doing. And so she would get everyone on the bus saved. Everyone on the jeepney saved. You can't... Don't think you're going to ride a ship. Everybody... Get the captain's microphone. You will preach with the microphone. It's the horror that you feel the first time when you're going, I I thought I was winning this one. And you're winning the entire... Busload. Finally, one day I decided I'm going to go to the bathroom. Stop, get off the bus. And so I've got to get away from her. Like, I've got to get away from her. There's something wrong. Like, this is not just cockroach killing, something's wrong. I've got to get away from her. So I, 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 I slip away from her off that bus and I hot dog it into the bathroom and I get in there and all of a sudden she gets in the stall next to me and I see the little Filipino head go under the stall looking at me going, hello! (laughs) So she had looked till she saw shoes, you know, 20-something stalls and she's looking and she sees the American. I go, my look, quit trying to peek! And I go, what are you doing with your head under my stall? I go, there's something wrong. She goes, scoot down. I go, what? She goes, scoot down. I go, okay. So I scoot down one, and so she waits. And so all of a sudden, someone gets in the middle of us. And sure enough, Malou goes, Angie, have you heard of the thing called being born again? (laughs) By the time the three of us flushed, the lady in the middle was saved. (laughs) I looked at Malou, and I go, Malou, there is no rest for the weary she looked at me in that sweet spiritual face she had and she gritted her teeth and she goes, there's no rest for the wicked. I was like, I didn't know if she meant the person that just got born again or the, the trainee. <laughs> you know, we shared the secrets of life. We told each other about our crushes, our boyfriends. She told me about Jose and the other hundred men who fell in love with her at Bible school. And had all proposed and all said, the Lord told me you're the one I'm supposed to marry. (laughs) As soon as a man learns to hear the Lord, the first thing God tells him is who they're supposed to marry. It was kind of confusing. 
But Malou loved it because they brought her gifts. I said, Malou, you do not have a sanctified heart. You are not loyal. You're a, a faithless woman. Oh, no, it's custom over here. The man has to be true to you. You do not have to be true to the man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I said, well, what about uh, um, Jose? Well, I like Jose. You know, but I can out-preach him. Oh, okay. Is there someone you can't? I'm just not attracted to him. Look how skinny he is. Oh. <laughs> In the culture to be too skinny, that meant that they were raised poor. Malou enjoyed all the attention she got of the males, and she was indeed a true heartbreaker. And ever since of the word, some of those men, her lists are still broken and not doing so well. My list are all in ministry, and we, we've been texting together. It didn't take me long, and I had a pastor boyfriend, too. He texted me a few minutes before I came in here. Uh, he was courting me Filipino-style, bringing me gifts. She taught me and him how to properly court and be courted. We did this double dating thing while we were there, and sometimes Jose got stuck taking both Malou and me on dates. She loved it. Between Malou and this young man, this pastor, you can see all my treasures at my house. But what shocked me was how poor they were and how much love and how much honor they had. And they would never have asked me for any money. Years later, I remember Malou weeping once to me, telling me, I don't like what's happened where you're having to give me money for, for things that we're doing. And I said, Malou... If you were the American and I was the Filipino, you would do it for me. I was born trust and honor and respect, loyalty. But in this, never was there a, a word of, of her not playing her part. She was always not only equal on the seesaw, but would do anything she could. She told me the story of she had come from good stock, that she had been saved under the Lester Summerall ministry. If you haven't read this book, it's such a good book of this man being told by the Lord that you should start a major church in 18 major cities in the world. What happened in the Philippines was this book right here. That Lester was in the Philippines trying to figure out how do I start a ministry and the Filipinos always being enticed by something crazy had this lady Clarita that they have had her in jail and she would go crazy. And when she would start screaming, bite marks with teeth on them would appear with saliva. Well, they had a circus going on and psychologists and all types of people were there and they would watch her go into these fits. Suddenly the bite marks would appear, they would photograph them. They put Clarita on the radio and she was screaming, you've got to read the story, but Lester heard that voice that you all kind of uh, dread hearing when the Lord said, go down and get her delivered. <laughs> so uh, he thought, surely, Lord, surely you're not saying that. In front of the mayor and, the, and all these psychologists and psychiatrists and all these people studying Clarita, Lester went down. It took him a couple of days because the demons would leave and then they'd come back in force. And Clarita got so gloriously delivered that the mayor gave them enough land in the center of Manila to start Cathedral of Praise where we were. And that's what was birthed out of the ministry was that just like my mom received deliverance, Malou's life had started with 
of famous deliverance. That was the book, Bitten by Devils, the supernatural account of a young girl bitten by unseen demons, documented by medical doctors, and her miraculous deliverance that would bring revival to a nation. Malou started with the nephew of Lester Sumrall. These early and heady days of evangelism, performing the toy maker and son, and I was a mime. So they had checked my drama skills, and they decided not to move over any of the major people that had major parts in the drama and just give me the job of a gate and the job of half of a cross because of it just wouldn't be right to take someone out of a major role. <laughs> well, Noreen is the devil. But I'm not. I'm the cross. So I performed uh, my best in front of 20,000 people in, in prisons and different places, schools, hospitals, universities, and on the streets. And so anyway, um, you have the picture of us performing for the prison. And so the cross and the gate, we both had mime paint, stage paint on our face for this production. Our white faces would melt in the heat. And after I was through in this performance, the prison guy grabbed me and he took me and he drugged me behind a car and he kissed me. <laughs> and that's when I realized that there are no guards. Like we're here with 20,000 men who aren't on the best of behavior. And so he grabbed me and he just hauled off and he kissed me. And I'm standing there, I'm just kind of in shock that there's 20,000 of these guys. And here I am being drug around the back of a car, and I'm like this, and he goes, it was just brotherly, sisterly love. And I go, well, you got it all over your face, that love. (laughs) Because I could find him in the ground, he'd kiss my mom. (laughs) And I burst out laughing, that was the end. Okay. You've got to have a good sense of humor. It prevents bad things. <laughs> I remember when we were speaking in the Philippines and I was talking on spunk and we were telling what I had learned and Malou was interpreting for me and we were having so much fun in the pulpit. We had never so much done so much of that tag team preaching and we were preaching together and her congregation was going crazy and of course the more I told on her, the more they loved. They had never thought of Malou as ever being young or fun or funny. And so anyway, they had seen her as dictator. <laughs> Something to salute. So we were telling these stories and we're laughing so hard and I was like, and I could preach so well that Malou became my friend. Like crowds of people would come to the altar when I would speak. And Malou goes, it's true, it's true. When Angie spoke, crowds would come to the altar. Of course, I was the translator, and nothing she said was I translating. I was preaching my own sermon, and it was so good that thousands would come to the altar. (laughs) I think it was true. I thought my closing just landed, and I wondered how she could go so long and passionately. Yeah. She made me the best American out there. But what I knew about Malou was something no one knew. And that was her intimacy with the Lord. Like, I had known being sold out. I'd known being adventuresome. I was sold out to God. But I didn't know there was a difference between sold out and being intimate. I had told God, you're Lord. But she was passionate. Like, I would stay with Pam, but occasionally she'd say, come over here where all the, the Filipino women are. And I would be like scared to be the only American among all those Filipinos. And they would lay a, 
would sleep on a floor like this and she'd put a little thin straw mat on the floor and man that's rough sleeping people can't stand their hotel beds and I'm like wow so we'd sleep there and I'd find myself waking up at five in the morning and Malou was up and she was on the guitar and she worshiped the Lord in such a way I have no words. I felt like I was interrupting something to watch her. Like the intimacy with tears pouring down her face and the way that she loved the Lord before she even started her day. I'd never seen anything like that. I felt like I was intruding. I watched her worship Jesus. And I watched that and I said to myself, I'm sold out. I'm not intimate. Lord, help me find that intimacy with you. The last night, they decided it was time for my initiation. And that's when she said, oh, don't bother to get out of your pajamas. We're going to go down on the streets of Manila tonight, and we will purchase you some balut. And so all the Filipino ladies were around me. They told me it was carefully cooked in caribou dung and and marinated in the urine of the uh, caribou. And after I ate my first unborn duck... They said to me that I was the first American to ever eat balut sober. (laughs) And then Malou put her hands on me, and she prayed for me for the nations. And that night was my last night in the Philippines. But whatever happened to me, something entered me then that a fire came into my life for the nations. I can't look at a map without something coming alive inside of me and I felt that impartation take place and I realized that all the work she had done training me that more happened to me at that moment of impartation that she taught me how to evangelize but she didn't just train me she imparted into me and I knew at that moment I didn't care what happened we were supposed to go to Palawan I gave this American guy money Some people in the church got mad. They got jealous. I left the Philippines. The whole thing blew up, but I didn't care because I had been forever changed. So I came back home, and some time went by, and I realized I met one of those funny people you'll sometimes meet in life, and they're truly a pioneer in every sense of the word. They're an apostle. They're somebody that They don't just do a ministry, they start ministries. At the bottom of every football pile of tackling, if I was like, who got you saved at the top of this ministry? And I'm always on the bottom, there was Malou. She was always holding the football. You know, it would be quite a few years before Mom told me that Malou had called. We had written, you know, for a while, but our lives had both gone into the ministry. And she said, I'm coming to the States at Fort Worth, Texas. And in this big convention meeting with all these crazy people in it, we met in her office, (laughs) like the Fonz on Happy Days, in the bathroom. And we caught up on all that had transpired in our lives since we had last left each other. And in Malou, I saw it was time in our life where Malou and I would put a trip together. Basically, our message to each other was, let's get my people to meet your people. 
and I'm deeply into college ministry and so we start designing that trip and it's crossliners and Denomis praise together our first trip is Christian McDaniel <laughs> and I trained him he was unmarried at that time we took him up to Sidonis Mountain and we decided we will not have a complaint of the food we're not going to have anybody complaining on this trip the rules of crossliners if I lead the team I will send you home if you complain one time you're gone that's why I like Mexico first, because it doesn't cost me as much money to put you on a bus. But in the Philippines, you pay for your own ticket home. I will not put up with complaining on a trip. Malou and I designed the itinerary. Team 2 has the ability to invent your own itinerary if you don't have one. Team 1, you're still scared, so that's not your thing. Christian and I decided to have them ready for her. We decided the team would sleep up on Sidonis Mountain. We would eat food that was three days old that he had gotten at Chick-fil-A, and he got everything he could find in the refrigerator. And we mixed together something we have never seen in our life. And it turned out so good that two months later, Christian and I are still eating what we had made. They had set out in the hot sun for three days. <laughs> we washed each other's feet. We slept on top of the mountain. We prayed. And... I told Christian the story of what had happened to me that the first time I'd ever gone to the Philippines, we almost got kicked out of the country for not knowing our Bibles, and we made sure everyone was completely prepared for this trip. We spent time in prayer. The other trips have failed, and the reason they have failed is it's a prayer failure. No matter how much I stress that you have to have prayer, you have to get together. The prayer is what makes the strength of the trip. And if you don't have time to commit to those weekly prayer times, you can't go on these trips. They're not designed for it. It's been a while since I've led one, but I wanted you all to know that we spent year after year and created some of the most interesting products from the training that we got in the Philippines. They were 16-hour days in the heat. When I hear people tell me they were tired, I would laugh because they were there for three weeks. I had lived there for months. <laughs> I was like, don't tell me about your three-week problem. <laughs> because I remembered after three weeks of being there, I was like, I'm having a breakdown inside of me because I feel like I'm totally being baptized and immersed in the Filipino culture and I'm losing my identity. It's something only people can say who've been on a field for a while. And something begins to break. Three weeks, you're just still playing. We would go door to door. Malou, her wicked sense of humor, she would see a dog pass by. Dogs are not pets over there. They're scavengers. And their tumors sometimes hang to the ground. And she would go, oh, what a nice dog. We shall eat him. Whose birthday is it? And I go, Malou, it has five legs. That's a tumor hanging down. I know, extra meat. <laughs> and she would laugh. <laughs> we ate dog. <laughs> we ate bat. <laughs> Give us a pig with an apple in its mouth. You would pedal around in those tricycles with Malou with a, some kid pedaling. <laughs> You'd owe him at least a nickel when you were through. He would go, you pay twice. You're American. You're big. <laughs> <laughs> he always did that to his Americans. Crusades that you did yourself from the opening prayer to the last laying on the hands of the sick. The deliverance. I always had a surprise being on a Baptist campus. I would train them in salvation 
and I train them in how to pray for the sick, but I always let demons be a surprise. There is no need to bring up the fact they're going to meet their first demonic encounter over there. So I would just take our big team, and by the time they're immersed in the culture, singing their hearts out with enormous praise, by the time they met a demon, they were fine. You use the name of Jesus, and you're going to live, and you're going to be fine. But the strength of your trip is there's not many places left in the world that are uncivilized. And you can still now go back to those primitive bamboo huts and where people can have a hospital in the distance and still see if they don't have the money to go there. So when you lay hands on them, they really believe it's going to happen. And so you're going to be out under the stars And I'm going to tell you what will happen to you. In the Philippines, you will see your first miracle. You'll see your first person that's lost. You'll be able to lead them to the Lord. And you'll see your first dramatic healing. But we began adding countries to our schedules. We started adding smuggling. We would do the teams into Bangkok, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, South Korea, Australia. We would go to countries all around it. We put a double team down. The numbers of people that were saved would reach into several thousand. But one time when Christian came up to me, he goes, you're late into the country, Angie. I go, I know, my dad asked me to stay a week. He says, I've won 20 to the Lord and you have zero. You might better get out of the car and quit talking to Malou and start. I was like, wow, Christian has an attitude. Where did this come from? And so I was like, well, we can't let a little friendly competition get in the way. So I went up to a schoolgirl and was going to lead her to the Lord. She told me a flat no. You don't get that in the Philippines. You can go a summer and get two no's. I go to the next schoolgirl and she tells me a flat no. I go, Lou, is something in me broken? I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what's happened. I mean, I can lead people to the Lord really easily. This is not hard. I said, Malou, get me in a tricycle. I said, I can't look at Christian. I said, he's over there winning people to the Lord. I said, get me in a tricycle. And so I got one and they zoomed me to a school. And we went in and Malou and asked, and I asked, can we do it in front of the school? 2,000 people are in the school. We put our skit on, we sang. 2,000 people prayed to accept Jesus in their heart. We had only 200 cards on us. We counted 2,000 as 200. And we came home with 10,000. We started hitting numbers of 15,000 people because we would do back-to-back universities in school. But we only counted the ones we had discipleship cards on. We only counted the ones they went back. Y'all, I'm telling you, the Philippines is poised for the gospel. They're poised to be harvested. We tried crazier and crazier ideals. We did a three-ring circus of Dad and Pastor Blake as a pastoring team to all the men, Mom and Renee. Speaking at all the women's conferences, Malou and me trying to lead some of the biggest teams we'd ever had. We had all three going at once. Malou looked at me and said, we can never do a three-ring circus again. We started going to the best places that we could find all over the world around there. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen the world. And the Philippines is still the very best place to train someone for the mission field. You will never meet people where they're that humble or that sweet, or where a girl can speak to a grandfather and he will receive the Lord from a woman. It doesn't happen in Mexico. The men have a little more machizo. (laughs) 
but in the Philippines, the grandfathers will accept the Lord. Malou would help me with my crossliner discipline problems. If I had anything go wrong, she could help me. One of my guys was having marriage counseling problems. I snuck up and I was listening to Malou. I couldn't wait to see what she was going to come up with in that field, knowing Malou's vast experience with marriage and all her years of pastoring six (laughs) churches under her. Her grasp of these relationships. We'd had a lot of problems in this relationship that we weren't solving, and they were not hiding their problems. They were bursting out on the scenes. And it was wearing us down as a team and running it. His uh, wife wasn't doing what she should have with the Lord. And Malou, I was listening in the dark as she counseled my guy heart to heart. And Malou says, bring her over to the Philippines. I knew she would lay hands on her. I knew that the Lord would gloriously move in her life. I knew what Malou was going to say. As I edged into here, I could say, you must bring her to the Philippines. In the Philippines, you can beat her with a stick and not go to jail. (laughs) I solidly slipped back to my bed. (laughs) At the time, I had a, a very large Filipino woman who crawled in on top of me in the dark and had proceeded to massage me, and I had never met the woman. I look up at her, and I'm still thinking about the stick, and she smiles, and she has no teeth. And she gives me a massage and tells me her life story and how she needs money. I remember taking my money belt off, and I remember giving her everything I had in it. I was like, that's the smartest Filipino woman I've ever met, catching me at a moment like that. That was the night that I learned that these primitive cultures can problem-solve in ways we Americans have never thought of. (laughs) What was funny is we had done a pastor's conference, and their church was going under. She was a pastor's wife. She was one of the wisest pastor's wives. She knew how to get results. <laughs> but to say Malou loved my college kids would be an understatement. Her gifts, the sea of people. She looked like a child, but she fought like a lion. How do you raise up so many men in your ministry? She goes, you raise up strong men. She goes, and you launch them. She goes, I never have figured that one out. Because <laughs> they all did what she said. What was Malou? She was a dictator. <laughs> Her leadership style and mine were very different. Hers and mine. I fell into the line of teams, training, and teaching. She used straight dictator. She was the first person that her church had ever seen me argue with her as an equal and argue and win with her. And they were all appalled because we were going to go into Zambongwa and I slammed down my fist. And it had to be one of those decisions that one of us was hearing the Lord and one of us was not. That's a story for another time. We were talking about it two days ago, three days before this. Malou is a cheat. I told her, you still owe me $80. For that time, you hid your passport because you didn't want me to see your birth date. Because I think you've lied to me. She had told me I'm a year older than you. I had to pay $80 for a taxi to go get your passport. She would fight. 
She got her church secretary. She was laughing in my face when I told them that I felt like the Lord had told me something on this other situation with us going down to Zamboagua. They put a FBI agent with me because they didn't trust me. As all Americans were coming out of that Muslim part of the country, we were flying in. They slept us in tree houses, and we put thousands of books into the Filipino army. She would teach me things. She would break me mentally. She would break me mentally in ways that no one else could. I had to speak back in Comanche. I had five flights to get there. I had 30 kids. If you miss your planes, can you imagine the cost for five plane rides per 30 kids? I thought we should get there two hours early, maybe two and a half. At one hour before, she stops the car and decides to buy souvenirs. And she shops until within five minutes of the plane. I told Malou, I don't care about your $2 t-shirt or the candy or the... I mean, I was like, Malou, please, just, if I knew how to get there, I would do it now. She goes, it's too late. They all can't do it without us. I have all their tickets. They'll be fine. I, I said, Malou, is there something I'm not getting about the time? No, it's the time. I'd look at the time. I asked someone, what time's the time? No, no. And she shopped. She said, it's now time to go. I can't tell you how many deaths I died <laughs> thinking about 30 times 5 flights times the chaos and me speaking the minute I got off the plane. I was like, what's wrong with her? Like, there's something seriously disturbed in her brain. Like, why does she think I'm enjoying my t-shirt? I hated the t-shirt. It tested me at the deepest core of who I am. We get to the airport. They said they are late coming in an hour. The plane has been stalled. I said, Malou, did you know that? She goes, I didn't see it fly over. I knew it was okay. You know, it reminded me of the plane, the plane, the plane on an island. I'm like, you got to be kidding. I said, you knew this? And you did this to me. I recovered quickly and I said, I'm bringing my mother next year. Do the same thing to her. <laughs> if I'm in character development, she must be. I don't know if I ever taught a Malou a thing, but she taught me how to live life, how to break down, how to stay in peace, and what relationships really meant. I saw Malou, and I saw her, and she was, she's getting weary. We sent her to some G12 conferences, and it really helped her because she was an evangelist. She could preach a man, but people were leaving out. Malou would start talking to me about the people that had hurt her church. She told me the fight had worn her down, the sins, those who had not sold out, the betrayals. She told me things no one else knows. I've seen Malou, and I'm going to tell you to this, I have seen her fierce as fierce could ever be. And all I found in her heart was fierce love. I've seen her mad to where I thought she was delirious. And all I found in her heart was wisdom. I've seen her be taken advantage of. And all I've ever seen Malou was fair. I have never seen anything but the goodness of God. She may have been a lion, a dictator, whatever you want to call that woman in front of everyone else, but before the Lord, she was something I have never witnessed in my life. She truly loved Jesus. 
She truly loved Jesus. As I looked down, I was thinking about that verse that says, Make it easy on those who give an account for your soul. Because one day they're going to give an account. And it says, make it easy on those who have authority over you. There's people that literally will play their own games. They have a different reason for being here. They're selfish. And after years, they won't change. And Malou started just not having the fight she needed for them. And I watched that because if you're a pastor and you love and you emotionally care, it hurts you. And I made some decisions. I'm not going to do it. I want only hungry people. I told the Lord I'm only going to take those that are sold out 100%. He told me, really? I take them at 30. I said, okay, I'll take 10. But you better have 10% in you hungry for God. Because I watched with Malou and some people are going to have to answer some questions to the day she died. She wouldn't let me tell these stories. As we went down it, she would make me swear that she's not in a place now to stop me. And I told her, I run my place different than you. We have a family here, and it's not gossip for me to talk openly. Info's not ammo here. Info is for us to do something about it. And just like my dad set me down, and he would have the sternest talks to me, I'm sitting you down, and I'm saying, it's not time for this kind of mess. It takes years off of people's lives. Smith Wigglesworth died because of a lady, got him at the door, started screaming at him because someone in our family didn't get healed. And I'm telling you, we take gifts that God gives us and we throw our worst dirt at them. We lie. We make life hard. If they don't give us everything we want, it's fine when they're that age. It's baby. And I clap for your poop. But three or four years from now, I expect growth in you. I expect hunger. And Steph has tried to honestly, what's odd is she's actually a lot more gentle than I am. Because there's been times I tell Steph, I put up nothing for this. Because when I was that age, I would be sitting on the, on the second row wanting something. I wanted the gifts of God. I don't get the lack of hunger. I don't get it. I don't get the lack. I don't get this thing of not wanting God. I don't understand it. Like, I really don't understand it. To me, he's so compelling. The Lord is so compelling. Since then, I found that intimacy, and I pray to God you do, because my heart is fierce for you. And it is fierce. And I love you, and I want you to go on with God. But if you're going to waste your time and not find that eternity, I don't have the time it takes. i got too many other hungry people. We've got cheated some years from Malou. By the time she's saying, I'm tired, and I fought, and I fought, and I'm tired. I'm tired. I want to sleep forever. I want to see Jesus. I lost somebody. I lost strength that I'd had in my life. The mission house had broke. The gutters. She finally told the Lord one day, if you don't care about this mission house, neither do I. I'm tearing the back of it off. We broke doorknobs in her house. We broke things. We never repaired them. Steph went over there. She repaired doorknobs. She repaired stuff. She repaired broken things. This stuff happens. Malou understands. But there comes a time we got to grow up. The difference is, 
I'm not going to swallow it because I've got something I'm called to do. And I don't like the fact that some very strong people that I've loved, I've lost in August in the last year. And I'm inviting you to be those strong people. I'm saying we can do it. We can cast out our demons. We can pray. We can have the strength that we need. We are bulletproof with the Lord. You know, I've said a lot of nice things about her, but I was going to tell you one thing about her. It's terrible about her. She always gave me really ugly purses. (laughs) Some really ugly hats. And I'd always look over and her purse would be really nice. Even this last trip, she sent me a really ugly purse. You know, I was thinking about it. A true pioneer and apostle always... Everything had something to do with her. If a new ministry started, and I realized one person can truly change your life. Who is that person? I'm talking about a forever change in you. It's shocking to me, the difference. I got a phone call when I got to the United States from the church, and my secretary came running in to get me. My radio secretary said, Malou is on the phone. A phone call from Malou saying, I have a baby. I've had a baby. I was taken a little bit aback, but I asked her, did you manage to get a husband first? <laughs> she didn't want to bore me with details, but she told me I better hurry and get over there before Kazia was in, in college. Steph went over there with me and we preached the deliverance conference. I met the baby Kazia that was ever bit as big as she was. We went with Malou to the children, and I've told so many people this story. Look at that attitude in that child. Look at that attitude. We went to the children, y'all, and the children were in the poverty, living in what we would put chickens in. And Malou made a big pot of soup. And we'd go, and we would dip soup to the kids. And the little kids would have on a T-shirt, but nothing underneath. And we're feeding in the rain, in the cold, in the kids, in the mud. And I have told so many people it costs $20 a month to feed those kids. $20 a month. How many times have I told this story? For two years I've told this story and not one person has come up. And we would rather spend our 20 bucks on our Cokes and our drinks and our... You can get together something... And Steph started coming into her life, and Steph bought her the AC for her church by raising the money. And Malou goes, hallelujah, the Lord has moved. My church has tripled in growth. You put AC in, and people will come. (laughs) I thought, how selfish those little Filipinos not coming when there's no AC. But if our AC broke, I wonder how many of us would be here this summer. Malou said that, she said, Angie, I now have the fruit of the Spirit in me. I'm no longer angry. I said, really, Malou? She goes, it is a miracle, a miracle. I was so excited about my first Sunday, preaching and preaching and preaching with the AC. And she said, all of a sudden, those men, I had them check it. She goes, man, I don't understand men. 
And it's like, oh my gosh, this beach. She goes, I had a, the electricians there and they checked it and they knew it. And as soon as I plugged it in, the church caught on fire. And she, our church was on fire from the AC. And she goes, it was burning. She says, as our church is burning down with the AC the first Sunday, she goes, those men, I wanted to say something to those men. And she says, as it burned, she said, we got the fire extinguishers out and we began blowing and the Filipinos are blowing it. And she says, so you have white stuff shooting all over the audience. And she says, as I come out to preach, everything, it was so beautiful. It was sticking from one side to the other. She told me, Angie, you're not going to believe it. She said, I had to put it to a church boat. We didn't have enough electricity to put the lights on and to put the AC on. I told those men to make it on separate breakers. And she goes, what did the men think? She goes, I am now a gentle soul. I quit screaming. I had no anger. I am filled with the fruit of the Spirit now. Those men. And so anyway, I said, what did you do? She said, I put it to a church boat. We can either preach in the dark and have AC. Or we can turn off the AC and not have it for another week as we separate the breakers. And we can have lights. You choose. Guess what the Filipinos choose? Chose. They chose preaching in the dark. And so Malou's little voice, with no notes, preached her best sermon with her sweetest little self saying, I thought nothing about those men. <laughs> and, the, and the way that the church looked, and she says, and I preached till I, I, I could preach no more. For one person can change your life. I asked myself, how many people have come to the Lord because of us? How many people went into full-time ministry because of us? Because of a friendship. Because of us getting together and saying, hey, your people meet my people. And y'all, so much ministry happened from one interpreter and one backwards white Texan. (laughs) And I'm telling you, we did ministry like it's never been done. And you know what we had? Fun doing it. Malou and I... I regret to say our last phone call was an hour and a half of laughing till we couldn't laugh anymore. Amen. You could not make up the stories that Malou lived. And, you know, if you, if you wonder where, why Angie is the way she is, Malou has a big, a big part. I mean that, I mean that in a good way. I, I don't. Being around people like that does change you. And you may not realize it at the time. Or you may not like it, <laughs> you know, but, but it really does. If anybody's got a, a Malou story they'd like to share, you're welcome to come up here.